Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning, the final from the Oakland Coliseum. It's the Cleveland Guardians 6, the Oakland Athletics 4. The Guardians end up winning the series two games to one. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And boy, it's amazing. A game during the day, we can actually, you know, be awake and pay attention to it and uh, take it in and enjoy it. So a fun one, a bright, sunny one out there from California. And uh, the Guardians, boy, I'll tell you this one. I mean, oof, it... If I mean, we had it. You should see the win probability line in this thing. I mean, it's nearly... Let's see what it gets up to in this one. And we're on the uh, seventh inning, bottom of the eighth inning. We get up to 96, 97% win probability. Ooh. And then suddenly, one bad inning, and it's a 50-50 ball game again. So the Guardians have to go to work. They have to go to extra innings once again. And uh, they're able to come out on top in the 10th inning. Uh, They do it again. Man, they are efficient in extra innings. They score right away in that 10th inning and uh, put all the pressure on that home team. We'll see if they get to an extra inning game here in the next homestand uh, if things work out in their favor or if the away team continues to be, uh, you know, to have that advantage. Uh But yeah, they were up to a 90, no, 98, look at that, 98 win percentage, uh, win probability percentage. So, boy, this game, uh, not a roller coaster ride, just one big drop here, (laughs) one big rough inning, and uh, suddenly we got ourselves a ball game. So we will get into it, we will get into the storylines of this game, but first, I got to give a shout out because we got another five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We are an all-five-star reviewed podcast uh, on the app, which is just awesome. It helps people find the show. So this review uh, comes from Karthik. Uh, they say, best Guardians podcast. My day always start after a Guardians game with Cleveland Baseball Mornings podcast. You are the best there is. Thanks, Karthik. I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. The kind words. uh, You know, I started this show because back in the 2020 season or the 2019 season, uh, I always wanted someone to talk about the game with. You know, you want to get to work or see your friends and be like, hey, did anyone watch that game? Anybody want to talk about it? And I wasn't finding a lot of conversation out there. So I figured, why not create that space? Right, Some of the weekly podcasts and things like that do a great job at what they do. I wanted to create something where we could just talk about the game and enjoy it and enjoy the game. So uh, that's awesome that you start your day with us. Uh, Thank you so much for the review. Uh, What can we do? Can we add some more five-star reviews? Uh, If you haven't done it yet, it's super easy. Just jump on Apple Podcasts real quick. Click that five-star button. Leave a quick review like Karthik did. Uh, and help the show grow. Help people find it. Uh, help it grow up the charts. Uh, the more it grows, the more fun stuff we could probably do on this show. I, I have some ideas, but we, you know, we're still a small, little independent podcast. So uh, these little things, the little things of support, buying the T-shirt, uh, spreading the show's name that way, leaving a review, they just help grow the show. That that's the stage we're at right now. Uh, I just want to build the morning people up, and. Uh, yeah, and have some fun talking baseball. So 
Thank you again, and let's get into the storylines of this game. And the big storyline in this game, not the win probability line, that's not the storyline. That's just always a fun thing to look at, especially when you think you have a game in hand. The big storyline in this game, oh, I hate to I hate to do it. Uh, it's not Hunter Gaddis. I wish it was Hunter Gaddis. I wish Hunter Gaddis was the big top storyline in this game. But it's the bullpen. Uh, it's the Guardians bullpen. I, and frankly, it's both bullpens. Um, you know, their bullpen doesn't fare too well either. But, uh, you know, Sandlin comes in after Gaddis gives you six strong innings. And we're going to talk a lot about Gaddis because that's the... That's the feel-good storyline of the game. But the real storyline of the game is uh, this is a game that we had in hand. We had put up enough runs to beat the Oakland Athletics. We were out-hitting them. We out-hit them like crazy. Nine hits to four. I mean, we were doing everything right. And then Sandlin comes in and gets through that uh, seventh inning. We get into the eighth inning. He gives up a solo home run, makes it a four to you know a four to one game. All right, we can survive. Tim Herring comes in, the young man who we were all raving about a few days ago. Well, he's finally faced some adversity here at the major league level. He had his first hiccup. He understands now. Uh, he's he's learned. He's going to learn the mentality you have to have as a major league reliever, which hopefully one of these guys sits him down. And says, the day's over, it never happened, you go out next time, and you pitch again. You pitch the way you pitch. Uh, it, it, he didn't have it in this one. Didn't have it. He walks the first two guys he faces, uh, and then gives up a three-run home run uh, to tie the game. The Oakland Athletics tie the game up. It's a brutal, brutal shot. On a uh, a battle with a veteran, Jesus Aguilar, who, frankly, man, did he sit the rookie down and teach him a lesson. I mean, Aguilar works an insane at-bat here against Tim Heron, against the lefty. And uh, he had walked Tony Kemp, he had walked Diaz, and now he's facing Aguilar, and he works a 12-pitch at-back after being down in the count. 0-2. He takes a four-seam fastball for a called strike. He takes a slider middle of the plate for a called strike. Two pitches, middle of the plate, called strikes, lays off a curveball, frankly, that's right at the bottom of the strike zone. I mean, that's a close one there. Uh, and then starts fouling off pitches. Fouls off one, two, three, four, five in a row. Fastball, slider, slider, fastball, slider. He's fouling everything off. Lays off another curveball away, uh, making it a 2-2 count. Fouls off another four-seam fastball. Fouls off another slider. And then finally, he hangs him one. Hangs a slider up at the letters. And Jesus Aguilar, if you remember, former Cleveland Guardian prospect, is a big dude. And he can hit balls a long way. And that's exactly what he does to Tim Heron. 100.3 mile per hour exit velocity. 381 out to left field. And only at a 370 expected batting average. But in Oakland, it clears that high wall in left field for a three-run home run. Now, he almost made things worse against, you know, Cleveland pitching killer Seth Brown. Uh, in the next at-bat, he, uh, and uh, what was the count here? A 2-2 count. 
he hangs him another slider, the lefty. And Seth Brown almost hits this one out to the opposite field. However, Miles Straw makes a ridiculous leaping catch at the wall. A catch already in the first week of baseball. We've got a catch that's going to be in the 2023 highlight package all season long. Anytime you look back on this season, you're going to remember this Miles Straw catch. A nice leaping, flying through the air catch. Uh, it's not one of these ones where he got the chance to, you know, kind of get back and find the wall and make a straight leap. He had to he had to jump off the you know off the sprint, you know, off the run. He kind of had to jump into the wall and crash into the wall in this one. So a much more daring catch uh, out there in center field. Saves maybe a home run, maybe a double off the top of the wall. It's hard to tell exactly where that ball would have landed. It would have been really close to the top of the wall. Uh, But saves extra bases for sure. Maybe the go-ahead home run here in the eighth inning. And he gets Tim Aaron, thankfully, out of the inning. Preserves the tie. Let's the Guardians go to work. Uh, they can't get it done in the ninth. Nobody can get it done in the ninth. So we go to the 10th. And uh, that's where the Guardians are able to get things done. So while we're talking about it, while we're there, let's just get into it. Uh, Eli Morgan does work the um, work the ninth inning because, you know, you weren't sure how long you were going to need to go. And Eli Morgan probably could have given you an inning or two. Uh, could have given you a little bit of length in case they just stayed a tie game, stayed a tie game. Uh, but he he works the ninth inning with supreme confidence. He does let a base runner on in the ninth inning. Um, after a one-out single by Langoliers, uh, they pinch run for him, but he's able to strike out Noda, and he's able to get Nick Allen to ground out. Meanwhile, the pinch runner for Langoliers is just rounding the bases uh, at free will. Uh, basically, uh, Capel was pinch running and basically stole second. I mean, he got an insane jump off of Eli Morgan, who was barely holding the runner on. And then literally an indifference goes to third base on an indifference. Like they, they literally didn't care about him. Eli Morgan knew if I get the batters, I get out of this inning. So uh, it, it showed some confidence from Eli Morgan. It was impressive. Uh, that that back of the bullpen mentality of you could, you could literally do whatever you want over here. I'm going to get this hitter out and you're not going to matter even though you're on base. And then Classe is able to shut things down in the top of the 10th. He does give up another walk, but he's able to get out of it uh, and shut things down and preserve that two-run lead for the save. Uh, After that, yeah, he walks the first batter, which is a little concerning, but then gets the ground out, strikeout, and line out to end things. Jesus Aguilar lines out to right field uh, to end the game. Now, the Guardians in the top of the 10th inning got back to their brand of baseball. I mean, they really were kind of making things work uh, in their way. And uh, it starts with a mile straw walk. Uh, The uh, runners would move up on uh, a wild pitch. So being aggressive on the base paths. Uh, Andres Jimenez is the lead runner. He's that that pinch runner that starts at second base to start extra innings. This rule has been very effective for the Guardians. So they both move up on a wild pitch. Brennan gets the job done, pinch hitting in the catcher's position for Cam Gallagher, who had a big hit earlier in the game. Uh, Brennan gets the job done. He puts it in play. They were playing back. They were conceding a run at this point. 
And they, they were just hoping to make an out, and, and that's exactly how it plays out. They get their out at first base. We get our that run across, that runner on second that's so important to bring in now, uh, knowing that the other team has a really great shot at bringing theirs in as well. Uh, but then Quan gets the big hit. Quan gets the single. He fights one off at his fists. Uh, actually goes the opposite way with an inside pitch. Kind of inside outs it, slices it over the shortstop's head who was playing in. I mean, it's a 69.5 mile per exit velocity, but classic Stephen Kwan gets the job done. That that second run is huge. Because, yeah, that runner from second base, there's a lot of ways they can come in to score. But to be able to put another runner on the base paths and then bring them around to score puts so much pressure on the other team, knowing that they, they can't just sack bunt the guy over and hit a sack fly to bring him in. Like you, you need to rally. You need to get someone else up on base, or or hit a two run home run. Like those are your options now for the A's, and it puts a lot of pressure on them. So unfortunately, the rally would end there, but they did their job. They put two runs on the board and uh, set Class A up for success in the bottom of the tenth inning. So that's your top storyline there. I mean. Tim Heron, uh, it's not as important what happened here. It's going to be what's important the next time. The next time he gets in there. Uh, how does he respond? How does he react to it? Uh, he, he was missing with a lot of sliders uh, across the zone, shooting them across to the glove side of the plate, uh, the big lefty. Uh, let's see the results tab. Where were they uh, making contact with him? So, yeah, so he was missed inside on a slider for both of those walks. Uh, and then it was sliders out up over the plate up at the letters that Jesus Aguilar and Seth Brown, frankly, hit to the wall in left field. One goes out, one stays in and is caught and is caught by Miles Straw. So that's where Heron was leaving his pitches. Um, we will see. We you know, we'll see if he can start locating more in those bottom quadrants. Uh, you know, a ball that sweeps across the zone is great when you got a guy out on his toes and, you know, a lefty chasing or a righty on his heels uh, swinging at anything. But you got to prove you can put it in the zone a little bit too. You got to hit those bottom corners a little bit too. So uh, we'll see how Heron bounces back from this. That's going to be the most important thing. That'll be the completion of this storyline, frankly. Remember, we said sometimes these storylines don't just take place over the course of a game. It could be a series. It could be a week. It could be a month sometimes. You know, see how this young reliever does the entire month of April and how they keep throwing him into the fire in these situations. So, uh, all right. The other storyline in this game, Hunter Gaddis finally has that good, solid start, that, that I can hang at the major league level kind of start. It was against Oakland. It was, and, you know, a lot of these guys probably are the same competition he was facing at AAA, and a lot of their skill levels, you know, let's face it, Oakland's a very young team. They've got a lot of prospects here. They're they're rebuilding. It, it's a pretty young team, uh, except for Jesus Aguilar, uh, who could teach a rookie pitcher a lesson or two. Uh, so Gaddis goes to work in this one. Did he, I mean, they said in the post-game report, he said he felt all his pitches were working. Uh, Miles Straw from center field said, you know, he got a great view of watching Gaddis go to work and how all his pitches were working. It's not eye-popping numbers per se. It's a lot of called strikes. He did a good job 
16 called strikes on 77 pitches, uh, only seven whiffs. It's only a 19% whiff rate, so not a huge job there. Not really getting them to chase, getting them to swing and miss. Uh, but, you know, at least pounding the strike zone and getting those called strikes. Um, and then when they were putting the ball in play, it was severely weak contact. I mean, the cutter which he threw the most, they averaged 77.9 mile per hour exit velocity off of it. The four-seam fastball, 88.4. The um, the changeup, they averaged 71.1. And the curveball, they averaged 77.3 mile per hour exit velocity off it. So inducing that weak contact. He only gave up two hard-hit balls on 77 pitches. By the way, he goes six innings, only gives up one hit, no earned runs, two walks, and four strikeouts. So really does a good job. The walks don't cost him anything. Really does a good job of just keeping their hitters off balance all day, inducing that weak contact. So it's a real beautiful thing here. One thing I noticed is that they they were attacking him in the zone. He like he doesn't have a huge strikeout numbers because he wasn't getting them to chase really. On the cutter, it's only a 10% outside the zone swing percentage. O swing percentage. Remember, Z swing is swings inside the zone. O swing is swings outside the zone. Cutter, it's only at 10%. Forcing fastball, it's only at 9%. Uh, to give you an example, uh, on the other side of things, Kyle Muller, the uh, pitcher for Oakland, uh, on his slider, the Guardians were swinging outside the zone 67% of the time, 18% of the time on the curveball, 28% total on all his pitches. They were swinging outside the zone. For uh, Hunter Gaddis, it's uh, it's only a 6% on all his pitches where the guard where the A's chasing outside the zone. So they were laying off stuff outside the zone. Because he didn't, I also didn't throw that many outside the zone. I mean, he really, really pounded inside. Uh, two of the strikeouts were via called strikes on changeups, so that really doesn't, you know, affect those swing numbers. Uh, but he really was pounding, and he was throwing to all four quadrants. Um, you know, for the big righty, I don't see that that big sweep across the zone where all the pitches are kind of in line with his arm angle. He's throwing the cutter to all four quadrants. He's throwing the four-seam fastball to all four quadrants. He's keeping the curveball down for the most part. And he's throwing the changeup uh, up and down uh, to all four quadrants. So a good job by Hunter Gaddis of just mixing things up, keeping them guessing, inducing weak contact. When we look at the radial view, uh, where we can look at basically the launch angle of the hitters against Hunter Gaddis, it's a lot of pop-ups, a lot of things above a 45-degree launch angle, which would you know be a fly ball on its own, uh, a lot of things up above that launch angle, which are pop-ups, which are easy pop flies. Uh, now, one of them drops in the, um, the double by Jesus Aguilar off him, was a bloop double that falls in between Andres Jimenez and Oscar Gonzalez. Frankly, I would have loved to see Oscar Gonzalez call Jimenez off because Jimenez was trying to make a ridiculously hard play from second base, sprinting backwards. I would have loved to see the outfielder coming in call him off, but we also don't know how much trouble the outfielders were having seeing the ball in that bright California sun. It looked like everybody was struggling a little bit with the ball in the air. Uh, I did see a lot of sunglasses out there, which is good. You never want to be caught with your sunglasses on your hat. 
they're there for a reason. Wear them. And uh, so I don't think it costs us any errors. This one goes as a double, but this is a bloop. Like, it's not a smash double off the wall. It's a bloop double that falls, uh, you know, just beyond the reach of Andres Jimenez, who's been, who was backpedaling for, you know, 20 yards uh, into the outfield. So uh, Gaddis really, really, I mean, that's the hit. That's the one hit. And so he does a really great job here. And great against Oakland. We got to see. He's got to continue to prove it. There's a lot more to prove when he starts facing Minnesota and the White Sox and the Yankees and Tampa Bays of the world, you know, uh, will this continue? Uh, we'll have to find out, but at least he's got this confidence boost here, right? He's got one of these. We would have loved to give him the W, but, you know, in the postgame interview, he was basically beaming, saying, you know, happy with how well the performance went. W or no W, happy with how well the performance went and probably happy that the team got the win no matter what in the end. So that's a big storyline there. And then finally, my last storyline in this game. Look, the two runs in the sixth inning were great. They were fantastic. Uh, They get two guys on. uh, With two outs, Andres Jimenez is nicked by a pitch. Is that his first hit by pitch of the year? Uh, Maybe. Maybe. Boy, he had plenty of those last year. Miles Straw with a single. It brings up Cam Gallagher, the light-hitting catcher, in the nine hole, and he smashes a double off the left field wall, uh, 100.2 mile per hour exit velocity, and it brings in both runs to score. So that's a fun little rally right there in the sixth inning, and it felt so good to get on the scoreboard. And then in the seventh inning, they do it with one out. Jose Ramirez draws a walk. Josh Bell singles off the pitcher's foot. Ooh, that had to hurt. 104.6 mile per hour exit velocity off the bat. Uh, Oscar Gonzalez would hit into a force out. Gabriel Arias would draw a walk to load the bases. And Andres Jimenez would deliver the big RBI single. I believe this was right after a mound visit. Right after a mound visit, first pitch swinging. Andres Jimenez uh, takes an off-speed pitch and shoots it into right field. Brings in two runs. Gabriel Arias is thrown out at third base to end the rally and to end the inning. But the two runs do come across the score. And man, we thought we were set up in such a beautiful position with a four-run lead. Uh, That's just great hitting from Andres Jimenez. You know, he had just walked Arias. They just went out and had a mound meeting with him. So you kind of have a feeling that you're going to get something in the strike zone. And he just jumps all over it. He is ready for it. Um, so that's some beautiful hitting. Andres Jimenez continues to be just such a threat down in the bottom of our order. I, again, eh, where's the breaking point? What is the breaking point in the season where Francona just can't keep Andres Jimenez down there anymore? He's got to bring him up into the top of the lineup. Well, it's going to be an interesting day when that finally happens. But what's interesting about this in the sixth and the seventh inning is these are not isolated incidents. It's not like the Guardians were hitless or they were, you know, they couldn't get on base all day and then finally they break through in the sixth inning. This was happening all game. We were just waiting for a hero. We were just waiting for someone to finally get that RBI hit. And it took way, way too long. This is not going to work that well against some other teams. Some other teams that know how to put runs on the board 
uh, we're going to have to convert some of these situations. We end up going 3-for-17 with runners in scoring position, and basically everybody in the lineup except for Gabriel Arias has a crooked number next to left on base. Everybody's guilty of this. Um, in the uh, in the first inning, it's a two-out single uh, that Jose Ramirez is stranded. Uh, but in the starting in the second inning, the first two guys get on. We got our leadoff guys on. A single and a fielding error has Gonzalez and Arias on. And then it's strikeout, strikeout, force out from 7, 8, and 9 in the lineup. So we strand those guys. We get the first two on in the third inning. Walk, walk to Quan and Rosario. We got the heart of the order up. and You couldn't set up an inning any better. I believe this is the one that Jose Ramirez flew out deep to left field. Seth Brown got it on the warning track. And he, he hit it nice. Uh, he kind of barreled this one up. 96.6 mile per hour exit velocity, 29 degree launch angle. It just looked like maybe they were saying on the TV broadcast, maybe he got it off the end of the bat. He just clearly didn't. You thought it was going to jump off the bat, and it just didn't jump the way you thought. Uh, so he flies out to left, and then ground out, ground out from Bell and Gonzalez ends that threat. So again, two leadoff guys on, back-to-back innings, and nothing to show for it. I mean, that cannot happen. you got to convert somehow in those innings. Even if you're playing small ball and advancing the runners and getting that runner home from third with one out, you know, that would be something. These missed opportunities, man, uh, they really can put, you know, you don't get many opportunities. You don't in baseball. It's tough to get a rally started. And clearly it's tough to finish a rally too. They finally put us down one, two, three in the fourth inning. In the fifth inning, we had another chance. Quan was on with a single, to, you know, uh, with one out. And Quan was giving him hell on the base paths all day. He was trying to steal as much as possible. Uh, he was running like crazy. They kept fouling the ball off every time he would try to steal a base. Um, so, yeah. so Man, he was really filling it up today. He had a stolen base. He was caught stealing, and he was picked off. So, uh, man, really filling up the box score for Stephen Kwan in this one. Then in the 6th and 7th, you finally do it. Uh, but then in the 8th, you had your two leadoff hitters on again. A single from Miles Straw, a walk from Cam Gallagher, and you're set up at the top of the order, and they can't bring any of those runs around to score. So, um, yeah, a lot, a lot of opportunities for the Guardians offense, and uh, it turns out Cam Gallagher was the hero we needed, uh, who finally broke things open in the sixth, and then some beautiful hitting from Andres Jimenez uh, in the seventh inning. They're jumping all over that first pitch and uh, shooting it out in the right field. So that's all my thoughts on this one. I uh, it shouldn't have gone down this way, right? We had this thing in hand. Man, Heron just had it. Maybe if the bullpen's not taxed, he goes to Stefan or Karinczak here. I I think he was pushing Heron to see what Heron would do. Uh, and I, he got a little bit of an answer here. Uh, so we'll see what the heat, you know, what the, the heat is like, right? What the stress level is like the next time Tim Heron goes into a game. You know, uh, is he going to put him in the hot seat again like this, or is he going to give him a more comfy situation to pitch in next time he goes out there? I it, it's probably good in the long run that this happened to him, right? Right, it, it's good. Get that bad game out of your system. Now you know that 
<laughs> this is going to be a weird analogy, but like the first time you get turned down for a date, right? You ask someone out on a date, they say no. You ask them to the dance maybe and they say no. And you realize that the world keeps spinning and life's going to be okay and life moves on. And suddenly the fear of asking someone out on a date doesn't seem that scary, right? <laughs> it's a weird analogy, but it's the first one that popped in my head. It's late at night. But that's what Tim Heron has here, right? He, he got his first taste of rejection. He got his first taste of, uh, of getting hit around and giving up runs, giving up a big bomb home run to a veteran. And he's going to wake up tomorrow and he's going to realize that the world's still spinning. Life moves on. He's not getting demoted because of it. And uh, he's going to go out there with a little more confidence next time, knowing whatever happens, I'm going to give him hell. I'm going to give him the best I got and whatever happens, happens. So uh, maybe in the long run for him, it'll work out, especially because he doesn't have to take the loss either, right? Uh, we're able to come around. He's able to hold it at a tie, and we're able to come win. Now, if they had hung the L on him, maybe that would hurt even more. He does get his first blown save of his career, but he doesn't have to take that first loss quite yet. And it's coming. It happens to everybody. All right, that's all my thoughts on this one. MVP on the day. Oh, we got to go with Hunter Gaddis on this one. I mean, come on. After uh, his first three starts in the major leagues, you were wondering, you were wondering if this guy had it to compete at the major league level, and that's exactly what he did today. He competed his butt off in this one. So MVP on the day is going to Hunter Gaddis. All right, let's wrap this thing up. The Guardians are off tomorrow, which means we take an off day on Cleveland Baseball Mornings. Uh, Friday is the home opener, so it means we will be back Saturday morning to keep talking baseball, to break down the home opener. Always, man, it is a holiday in Cleveland, the home opener. Uh, I even thought about doing a new t-shirt design. Maybe I will. Maybe I'll have time at work and I'll snap off a t-shirt design. Uh, something that says something like... Uh, uh, Cleveland's Cleveland's opening day is my favorite holiday or something like that. So uh, get ready. It's going to be an exciting day in Cleveland. We're not going this year. I, I don't, you know, we got a lot of babies in the family right now and it's making it difficult to, to get out and organize these things and go to the game. So we will get back to it. We always, you know, we, for years, me and my brother had taken my dad to opening day and we will get back to that tradition because it's it's a beautiful tradition fathers and sons fathers and sons sharing a baseball game together and it doesn't have to be fathers and sons sons and mothers mothers and daughters fathers and daughters whatever combination you want to put together sharing it with family like that having that tradition in the family it's a beautiful thing so we love taking my dad to games I was able I didn't get to take him to opening day last year but I did get to sneak away in one of those Wednesday like noon games and I got to take my dad to a game. So we will find time again. It's not going to be opening day, but we will find time to get back out to the ballpark uh, as a family. So that's all my thoughts on this one. We'll be back Saturday morning to talk that. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on some of these rookies, on Tim Heron, on Hunter Gaddis, on how it's going, Gabriel Arias. Let me know your thoughts, and we'll discuss it on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Spotify. There's a link in the show notes. You can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland 
Baseball Morning.